number 15. Is where we at. We've been in Acts. We just for the summer, we took a brief break to, to do a series on the family. That series was titled Modern Family Vintage Values. And we concluded that series, and now we're returning to the book of Acts that we've been in for this year, and we'll finish this through the end of the year. We're Acts number 15. This is the second volume that Dr. Luke has written to record all that Christ did and that he's continuing to do through his church. Acts 15, we've read verses 1 through 11 thus far. Today's message is simply this, grace alone. Grace alone. This story in Acts number 15, the narrative begins, first of all, together we will look at the dispute. Verses 1 through 5, look with me at the dispute. Verse number 1 says, there were some men that came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Look at verse number five. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them in order that they, and that they would, and order them to keep the law of Moses. Who is them? The Gentiles. There were Jewish leaders, Jewish men who were going down and teaching and areas outside of Jerusalem that in order to be saved, one not only had to believe in Jesus Christ, but they also had to be circumcised. And if you keep one part of the law, you have to keep the entire law. And so not only did they have to be circumcised, but they also had to keep the entire law of Moses. By this time, the law had ballooned into 613 rules and regulations. And so now, there's this big dispute. You've got the Jewish side of the church. They believe in Jesus. They, they, they're no longer under the old covenant, but they're under the new covenant. But there's this faction, this certain group of people who says, in order to be saved, you've got to have Jesus plus something else. That's the specific issue. That's the specific dispute. But friends, there's a bigger issue at play here. The bigger issue is, is Christ enough? The, the, the bigger issue is, what does it take for a person to be saved? Friends, in Acts chapter 15, the gospel is on trial. The issue at hand is are we saved by grace or are we saved by works of the law? This, this certain group who were troubling the church made of Gentiles, this group wanted a Jesus plus religion. And, and, and you think, you may think that this is just a first century issue, but I would propose that it's not just a first century issue, it's also a 21st century 
issues. There are still religions and cults and denominations and churches and individuals who teach a Jesus plus gospel. You don't believe me? There are churches out there that teach Jesus plus baptism is necessary to be saved. Jesus plus certain gifts of the Holy Spirit. Jesus plus doing good deeds. Jesus plus sacraments. Jesus plus behavior. Jesus plus works. Jesus plus material prosperity. Jesus plus spiritual disciplines. There will always be those who want to supplement grace. But I would argue that anytime you supplement grace, you actually supplant grace. Grace plus anything is no longer grace, church. Grace is unearned. Grace is undeserved. Grace is unmerited. Grace happens when one extends favor or kindness to one who doesn't deserve it and can never earn it. We, 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 we so often we want to contribute to our own salvation. Jonathan Edwards says, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. That's all we bring to the table. So that's the dispute. The question, the heart of the text is, what is necessary for one to be saved from the wrath of God? That's the dispute. Look, look with me now, secondly, at the discussion. Verses 6 through 21. Look at me at the discussion. Verse 7 says, As there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by the mouth of the gent that by my mouth Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test? By placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Peter here argues, essentially, that salvation is not a work of man, but salvation is a complete work of God. God. Peter says God is the one who is both the initiator and the finisher of our salvation. Look at what he argues in verse 7. He says, it was God who chose me to go to the Gentiles to proclaim the gospel. It, it, it was God who gave them the faith to believe. Verse 8, he says, it was God who gave them the Holy Spirit. Verse 9, it was God who cleansed their hearts by faith. But not by baptism, by the way. Then Peter says, essentially, you're putting God on trial. Because it's God who is the initiator and finisher of our faith. 
So then why are you putting God to the test by saying that there has to be human contribution in the process of salvation? Friends, Peter also argues that when we, when we add works to faith, we enslave others. I, there, we, I may be preaching among certain individuals who are slaves. Because you haven't understood the grace of God. What Peter says is that when you add anything to grace, you put a yoke around the neck. That nobody has been able to bear. Well, Peter's conclusion is this, and this is the whole sermon right here. That since salvation is the complete work of God, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's the whole sermon right there. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Friends, this is our belief, our creed, our conviction. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. In salvation, there is no room for human achievement, hard work, personal effort, performance, or even religious deeds. Because we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. More than that, the reason we can't add anything to our faith is because once we add something outside of grace, it robs God of the glory he rightly deserves. I thought I'd have more hand claps on that one, so let me tell a story. A while ago, my wife baked a strawberry cake. Yes. Yes. It was simply amazing. Slap your mama good. The the cake, the actual cake, not the icing, the cake was so moist that it just melted in your mouth. Baby, if you want to make one of those for me anytime soon, I'll take it. And I'm not sharing. The icing was sweet, but it wasn't so sweet that you got diabetes after eating it. That's her tea, by the way. It, It was simply a taste of heaven. And after that first bite, I couldn't help but say, baby, this is delicious. Now, I have to because a few years ago, she made me a pound cake, and it was literally a pound. Woo! And so I hit that first bite of this great strawberry cake, and I just couldn't help but say, baby, this is phenomenal. I was praising her, and I was just telling her I was giving her compliments because it was just literally heaven in my mouth. It was a big party explosion in my mouth. It was phenomenal. And I was just praising my wife and giving her all this credit for what she does. And my daughter yells at daddy. No fair. What's wrong, babe? I helped too. 
See, my, my daughter wanted to share in the glory. We are just like my daughter oftentimes when it comes to salvation. We want to be able to say, I helped. I helped. I did it. I didn't do certain things. I made a choice. I did it. We want to share in the glory. But when we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, it results to the glory of God alone. So Peter makes his defense about why we shouldn't add anything to the work of grace. But then Paul and Barnabas, after Peter's defense, there's then Paul and Barnabas who stand up, verse 12. And they make their defense. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Where's the defense, Brandon? Paul and Barnabas essentially argue that God is already working and saving the Gentiles because he is doing great things among them. And the fact that signs and wonders have come testify to the fact that God is saving Gentiles without them being circumcised. Paul and Barnabas give their defense. They just said, I'm just going to testify of what God is doing. So Peter makes his case. Paul and Barnabas make their case. And then James makes his case. Half-brother of Jesus. He says, he says, I'm going now, I'm just going to go back to Scripture. And he quotes the prophet Amos to make his case that God has always planned for the Gentiles to be a part of his people. This, these Gentiles will be called by his name. And this new people will be mixed with Jews and Gentiles, is now called the church. So James' conclusion is we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but we should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. It's like you, we had a good thing going, and then you have this list of works. And it seems as if James is adding works to grace. But I'm going to argue that the purpose of the list is twofold, evangelism and edification. What do you mean? Notice what he says, last part. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him. For he is read every Sabbath in the synagogue. In other words, there are Jews who are saved, but they are still reading from the law of Moses. And as a result, they still keep the law as a part of their, as a part of their daily walk with God. And so James is saying to them, you should abstain from certain things because it could hinder your witness and the unity of the church. His admonition is simply, don't fool with idolatry and flee from sexual immorality. 
caution to them, be careful how you use your Christian liberty. That's all he's saying. He's not saying don't do these things in order to be saved. He's saying that since you are saved, in this, in order, instead of there being division in the church about whether we can eat pork or not, when you're around Jews, just don't eat pork. If it's going to cause them to fall and it's going to create division in the church, just don't do it. Now, when you get off, when you get home, you fry up that pork belly and you have a time. And get some strawberry cake to go with it. So then what's the decision? And then we'll be done. Thirdly, the decision, verses 22 through 35. This last section simply records how the whole church agreed with James. They sent men with a letter clarifying their decision that they did not have to be circumcised. It says that they rejoiced, the whole church rejoiced. Really, it was all the men in the church that rejoiced. <laughs> Lord, thank you. I don't have to be circumcised. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Woo. Feel it in my feet, too. But I want you to see the response to this decision more than anything. Look at verse 31. Verse 31. It says, and when they read the letter, they, that's the Gentiles, rejoiced. Because of its encouragement. Friends, grace is liberating. Grace brings joy. Grace is encouraging. Friends, as I get ready to close here, I want you to be aware that there are grace killers on the loose. And they're Past. Their hope is to enslave you. That in order to be pleasing to God, you've got to do certain things and not do certain things. So in order to receive the favor of God, you've got to earn certain things. Those are grace killers. My goal today is to remind you that you are free and who the Son sets free is free indeed. As it pertains to salvation, I'm reminded of the old hymn. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. You know it this way, rock of ages, cleft for me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray.